following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, uh, open up your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, and we are in the 20th chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is going to be on the left-hand side of your Bible, if you have an actual tangible version of the Bible. Um, If you have an electronic Bible, it's about three swipes to your left. Check and see if you're still with me. (laughs) Um, We've been studying Deuteronomy. I, I hope and pray that you are getting as much out of this book, as I am, as we study this this text, um, we had nine o'clock uh, hour of prayer um, just a little bit ago, and one of uh, the individuals that was there was talking about Bible study fellowship, and uh, what they talked about was how Bible study fellowship has just gotten done with um, studying some of the Old uh, Testament and the portions of the Old Testament, and it's funny. You look in the Old Testament, and oftentimes when you study the Old Testament, you think to yourself that God is kind of this angry God, and, he, and he's really upset, and he's this God of, uh, of wrath, and, and, and then Jesus shows up, and they seem so different from each other, and um, that's not the case. You, you find the God of the Old Testament is just as gracious as, uh, as the God of the New Testament, because they're the same. And you see all the mercy that is poured out, and you see that God gives his people one, two, three, four hundred chances. <laughs> And he wants them to obey. And so we get to Deuteronomy chapter 20, and we have a lot of scripture to cover. And no, I'm not going to read all of this scripture to you. So just kind of um, start to to look at it as we uh, move through it rather quickly. But if you have missed uh, the first 19 chapters of Deuteronomy, don't don't worry. Um, We'll still get you caught up. It'll be fine. And if you want to go back, you can check out all those messages at communitygospelchurch.com, and you'll see them there. But in Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, you're going to see that the Israelites are finding themselves in the middle of a battle. And there is, is a war going on, uh, will go on against the Canaanites who are going to be uh, these people who inhabit this promised land that God has promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they will inhabit, but they have to overthrow these enemies. And um, so, that, so there's going to be an actual tangible war. But then there's also a, a real spiritual war going on in regards to the Israelites that we could resonate with today. And that is, uh, there's a battle between the desires of the flesh and God's call to live higher than that desire. And, that, and we, we resonate with the Israelites because God tells us to do something and then we look at that and we, we study that and we go, okay, that, that looks kind of good on the surface. And then we go to apply that text and we wonder to ourselves, is, is that really the best thing for me? And God says, yeah, absolutely, all the time it is. And some of us doubt, but God's word always proves true. Now, in Deuteronomy 20 through 22, God's going to give instructions to three different areas. He's going to talk about war, to defend and protect against enemies, and we kind of resonate with this because we also have an army that is sworn to defend all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so here, God is essentially telling the Israelites, you need to defend 
him against enemies, foreign and domestic. Everything that we have in this world is really stolen from the Bible. And so that's the first thing, this thing called war. Then he's going to talk about family, specifically newlyweds. So if you're a newlywed, listen up, all right? And uh, I don't know what they call people who have been married for a long time. They call you oldlyweds. I don't know how that works. And then if you're not in that camp, uh, he talks about relationships, how we treat people. And when we study the Old Testament, what I'm learning is people sometimes check out of the Old Testament because they believe that Christ has fulfilled all of the Old Testament so we don't have to follow it. Church, that's not true. Fulfillment of the law doesn't mean that you abolish the law. It means that you live by the law in those boundaries even more as you see the day approaching so that you will honor the Lord in all you think, say, and do. So these Old Testament laws are really uh, fulfilled in Christ and they flourish. You can make a strong case that almost every single Old Testament law is spoke on and built on in the New Testament. And so it still speaks to us today. All right, so uh, Deuteronomy 20, 21 and 22, God's instructions on war, family, and relationships. Let's look at Deuteronomy 20 first, some instructions on war. Two verses pop up on the surface, and that is verse 1, where it says, the Lord your God is with you. Sometimes God always has to tell us that he's with us because we wonder if he is. And so he constantly looks at the Israelites, he says, I'm, I'm with you. And then he says, when you draw near to battle, these priests are going to come. I'm getting ahead of myself because he talks about how you should not fear the enemy's size. Church, you should not fear the enemy's size. You should not fear their horses or chariots, Moses tells the Israelites, because all of Israel's battles wouldn't be determined by military size, but they would be determined by God's power and faithfulness. Moving into the New Testament, our battles are not determined by a military's size or the enemy's size, but by God's power and faithfulness. Amen? All right, so there are some examples of this. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 31, there's some talk about Egypt in regards how you were victorious over Egypt, if you keep the Bible in context. And then also in Hosea chapter 14, there was talk about how we can be victorious over Assyria, which was another enemy of Israel. In times of war, adversity, believers, Old Testament or new, remember God's past faithfulness. This is why I firmly believe that you should have a prayer journal. So that you could see all the ways that God has worked in your life, all the way that he has seasoned your life with mercy and grace so that you can look back in your present circumstance and not be afraid. Now, let's look at war a little closer. There are, in verse 2, all the way through verse 20 of chapter 1, three laws for warfare. Number one, when you go to war against God's enemies, foreign and domestic, you are supposed to trust in God's power and trust in God's promises. Now, in the Old Testament, the chaplains would go first. Yikes. <laughs> All right? And what would happen is, as these uh, priests went in, that's why I said chaplains, chaplains, priests, you know, they're on the front line and they're front line workers. It says, uh, let's look at verse 2. When you draw near to battle, the priest shall come forward and he shall give his opinion to the people. No, <laughs> the priests don't give their own opinion to the people. They, 
gave the soldiers God's encouraging words so they wouldn't become faint-hearted. But they also carried the ark, which is a symbol of God's presence. So when the Israelites would go to war, the priests would carry the ark, and the ark was said to have the presence of God, and that would go first before any battle. Are you tracking with me, church? God's presence goes first before any battle is fought. And then the priests turned around, and they encouraged faint-hearted soldiers to trust in God's word. This has already been established in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30, as well as chapter 3, verse 22. And the soldiers listened to God's word and were unafraid, and they experienced victory. Now, we talked about that in Psalm 91 last week. So trust in God's power and promises. Number two, sort out those who are fit for battle and those who are weak and cowardly. <laughs> I kind of like where this is going. The officers made sure the armies had men free from distractions. Now, in verse 5 through 9, you will see some of these distractions that might dull their spirits for battle. So the officers excluded men who were, number one, just built a house and hadn't used it. Number two, planted a vineyard or a farm and hadn't farmed it. Or three, were engaged and had to have proof of their engagement, by the way. You couldn't just say like, hey, I'm getting married, and they'd be like, oh, you don't even have a girlfriend. Like, that doesn't work that way. And, uh, and, and all of those things were essentially exemptions for soldiers going to war. Now watch this. God wants Israel to have focused soldiers, and he realized that this would affect the size of the army. But God is not after size. God's after heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, The Lord does not see the same way that people see. The Lord looks at the heart. And God does more with small armies that are committed to him than big ones that compromise on his absolutes. So, you trust in God's power, sort out those who are fit for battle, and then there's rules for conducting war, verse 10 through 20. Israel's rules for war were simple. <laughs> I kind of like this. This is what would happen, all right? So they would essentially march into a city, and they would offer peace. And if the city agreed, the people were spared. And they said, we'll serve your God, and we will do what your God says, and we will follow your God, his word, and his ways. But if they chose to fight, Israel killed all the men, took women and children and livestock captive. Whoa. And the Canaanites were the exception because they were be completely destroyed except for the fruit trees, which I think that's a hard case for the fact that God loves fruit, just me. The Canaanites were a threat to the Israelites' faith. They were a threat to God. They were being completely demolished because God had given them a choice and they had chosen the opposite of what God wanted. So there are your laws for warfare. Now, there are some unsolved cases here. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 1 through 9, all right, we kind of move into it and we see that this connects to the previous chapter. Now, this is interesting. Israel is prepared for war. They're ready to march into the cities. They realize that they are, are on a holy war mission, and they realize there's some things that are still happening and transpiring in their communities that they need to hash out. And so, if a man was found dead from murder, the elders and the judges of the central tribunal, that was Deuteronomy chapter 17, called all the elders of the nearest town to meet. 
So we're preparing for war, but there's a tragedy that happened, and that tragedy is that somebody was found dead in the city. And so what do we do? Well, we pause for a second, and if the murderer is not found, all of the land or the people shared the guilt of the crime. I'm going to repeat that. All of the land and people shared the guilt of the crime. The priest from the central tribunal would break the neck of a young cow as a symbol of the crime that was committed and that it deserved capital punishment. The elders then washed their hands over a cow to symbolize the innocence. And we would ask, why is that there and why does that matter? This is extremely important in understanding Deuteronomy because here we see the entire community takes responsibility for the sin of what's transpiring. Church, nobody pointed a finger and said, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. People said, it's our fault. We all have sinned. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 23, coming to light in the Old Testament. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're trying to get everybody in in regards to being prepared for this warfare where we're taking over the promised land. That's so central to where we're at right now in our community today. We're trying to get Christian soldiers rallied up because we're going to our heavenly Canaan. We're excited and we're ready. And then we look and we realize, oh, a great injustice has been done in our town. Who do we blame? Whose fault is it? And you have to look in the mirror and say, it's my fault. In 1908, the London Times asked many notable authors to write an article answering the question, what is wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton responded with two words, I am. The more you mature in your relationship with the Lord, the more you will take responsibility for contributing to the problem of sin. If you don't believe me, look at what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul constantly calls himself the chief of sinners that Christ died on the cross for. So the people take responsibility for sin. They ask God for forgiveness as they're preparing to take on their heavenly Canaan. And then there's another issue that pops up. Look at chapter 21, verse 10. Females and children were common in being captives of war. And some Israel soldiers who were prepared for war, who were fit for battle, saw these women and thought to themselves, she's cute. What do I do with her? (laughs) So Israel soldiers were not to do whatever they wanted to them. That's a pagan practice. If a soldier desired to take a captive as a wife, he would first bring her to her home, allow her to mourn for the death of her spouse, and if he wanted to marry her after a month, he could do so if he wanted to, and then he distributed the inheritance freely, unless the children were rebellious. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 10. When you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God gives them into your hand, you shall take them captive. Jump down to 13. She shall mourn, essentially, is what that says in summary. But if you no longer delight in her, you'll go where she wants, and you shall sell money and not treat her as a slave since you have humiliated her. And that's kind of the summary in regards to the fact that this is not a good idea. We're going to move on. And so here's the deal. The army goes to battle with God. After the battle, the soldier follows the law. They treat captives fairly. And we would ask, so what? I'm not an Israelite. I didn't live in the Old Testament. How does this apply to me? It does apply to you. Three ways. Number one, the same trust in God's provision and protection that Israel had is the same trust that you should have in our society today. 
We are all at war with something. We're all at war with something. There's some sin raging. There's something going on in our life. There's something that is transpiring. Life's wars are challenging. And in those challenges, God calls us to trust that he will provide for those things. Number two, our job as believers is to practice justice and compassion. The marginalized in this passage of Scripture, are treated with kindness. Sometimes the marginalized live in your house. Sometimes the marginalized are at your workplace. Sometimes the marginalized are the people that you come in contact in the places that you populate. And we have to realize that we were all once at war with sin and still at war with sin. And we needed salvation, and we received salvation, and now that we're saved, we struggle with the same PTSD syndromes that need edification. They need to be built up. So we practice compassion, and we honor, number three, God with our actions. All of these passages point to honoring the Lord with our actions in obedience and faithfulness. Obedience and faithfulness. Now that's chapter twenty-one and a little bit of chapter uh, or twenty and a little bit of chapter twenty-one. So uh, you guys look at it and you go, oh, "I'm not going to war." Like, okay, I kind of kind of see where that's going. Keep going. Okay, I promise. Uh, verse twenty-three of chapter twenty-one. All about civil and family relationships. They all speak of laws requiring obedience and what happens if you disobey. Now, look at verse 22. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death, you hang him on a tree. And his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same day for the hangman is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So the first thing that we see here is in regards to criminal offenses. Let's start with disobedience before we get to obedience. People who disobeyed in the Old Testament were hung on trees after they died. Whoa. They were normally put to death because of crimes by stoning. So the purpose of hanging a dead body on a tree was a warning to others to not commit the same crime. Now, Paul uses, he quotes word for word, Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23 in Galatians chapter 13. So there's a connection here. And he shows how Jesus took the curse on himself, offering a substitutionary death for sinners. Christ being under God's curse, redeemed, Galatians 3.13, us from the curse of the law. This is why Jesus looks at people all the time and he says, go and sin no more. You have been saved, go be sanctified. Sanctified in what? Good question. Sanctified in being redeemed, living a certain way. Watch this. This is practical love and action, Verse uh, chapter 22, 1 through 12. First thing, if someone finds a lost item, chapter 22, verse 1 through 4, you don't keep that item like an ox. You don't get to say finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That's not biblical, okay? doesn't work. Now, some of us look at it and they go, that doesn't apply to today. Some of you still have lawn equipment in your house that's somebody else's lawn equipment. You need to give it back, all right? (laughs) Some of you have had people over and they've left something and you're like, oops. 
But it doesn't say it. It says, you keep something lost until you can find the owner. Why? Because you have been redeemed. You're not like pagan society. Verse 5. Men weren't allowed to wear women's clothing and vice versa. Wearing opposite clothing, opposite sex clothing, confused a godly distinction of the sexes. There was a difference, even back in Deuteronomy, between males and females. (laughs) Some of you are passionate about this. Transvestism promoted homosexuality and associated one with worship of pagan deities. We see this manifesting today. Now, the crazy thing about this is, we would look at this and we would say, oh yeah, that's true. But sometimes, we also associate ourselves with things that are not of God by promoting those things in what we wear. And so we have to be careful too. Then it says you shouldn't kick the dog. Care for animals and people. Verse 6 through 8. Two things here regarding caring for animals and people. People were to be kind to animals because it protected their food source. It talks about birds. Let those mother birds go. They're going to produce a future young eggs for you. I love this, Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, verse 6. Let's look at this real quick. It says, If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs or the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother of the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you will take for yourself, and it may be well with you that you may live long. And if you build a house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. You know what a parapet is? It's a flat roof. And so what he's saying here is, he's saying that this is a clear opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself. By being concerned about his safety. <laughs> this just happened to me the other day. Uh, our neighbors across the street, their kid was crying. And my first response to that was, not my kid. And then she started crying more, and I was like, still not my kid. And then she started crying more, and I was like, maybe she needs my help. So I got up, and she stopped crying, and I thank the Lord for that. But it says you love your neighbor as yourself. This is practical love and action. Look at this. Because you are redeemed from the curse of the law, you return what is lost. You respond appropriately in regards to um, what God has provided for you. You care for people. You care for animals because they are your clothing. And then you be careful not to mix fabric and clothing. What? What? (laughs) All these Old Testament laws. We look at this and we go, how'd you get here? In verse 9 through 11, Israel was not to mix different kinds of seeds, plow with different kinds of animals, or wear clothes made of different kinds of fabrics, as it was a symbol of God's created order and being different than the pagans in their practices. This is a believer being able to practically love the Lord, the first four commandments. Then in verse 12 of chapter 22, It says, you shall make for yourselves tassels on the four corners of the garment which you cover yourself. This is explained more in Numbers chapter 15. But in short, these tassels were wore to remind Israel who they were and who they were tied to. Hebrew tradition says Israel wore four tassels that each had eight threads of five knots. We don't have time to fully explain this, but... If you do some Hebrew math, you'll get a value equated to 613, which is exactly how many laws were given. 
These were God's laws in the Torah to obey. Now we look at that and we think to ourselves, practical love and action, how does that link to the New Testament? The woman who is healed by touching Jesus's kanaf is the corner of his garment. And she is healed because she touches that corner, trusting in God's promises, all that were contained in the 613 commands. She says, I believe, Jesus, you fulfilled these things, and you have the opportunity to heal me. She goes to the Messiah, seeking practical love. Because you have been redeemed from the curse of the law, and because you are ready now to go and take over the promised land that has been entrusted to your care, practical love in action, because you have been redeemed, be pure. Chapter 22, verse 13, outlines sexual morality. Specifically regarding a woman's virginity and her purity when it was called into question. If accusations regarding a woman's purity were found to be true, she died. If allegations were false, the man was punished died. Now these passages also describe the consequences of all these horrific sexual sins, all of which emphasize importance of faithfulness, protecting the family, the sanctity of marriage, all of this. This is practical, horizontal love. When you see the laws in the Old Testament, it is horizontal relationship because our relationship with God is not just vertical, it's horizontal. That's so important when we see all these laws. You can't just push them aside and say they're not for today. And then we look at this and we go, why is this important? Why is this in the Bible? Imagine a society where justice is prioritized, property is protected, and people are treated with respect, godly respect. Imagine a society where God's justice is prioritized, God's property is protected and valued. God's people are treated with respect. Imagine a society where crimes are punished fairly because the courts are fair. Imagine a society where guidelines are put in place to deal with various situations that arise in a God-honoring way. That's a good society because it's a godly society. And I believe strongly that's really probably what people had in mind when they left and came over here on a boat. And they were like, hey, this is the things that we're seeking. And we know this because in our society today, we just saw a king that was appointed. And even back then, they were fleeing from an earthly king to find a heavenly one. The same is true with us. Deuteronomy, all of these things offer guidance for such a society. Things that we should heed today, don't just throw them out. It's a blueprint for creating this just, godly society. And you look at that and you say, Pastor Jordan, wait, hold on a second. We're too far gone. We're never too far gone. Because even though the Christian army is small, God is not concerned about the size of the army. He's concerned about the heart. And so there's often times where we look at these texts and we think to ourselves, we can't turn that tide. And God would look at us and he'd say, with me you can. You should live in accordance with godly principles because they're not just abolished, they're fulfilled. Matthew chapter 5, in Christ, meaning the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do these things at your workplace, in your homes, in your marriages, with your kids. You cannot look at somebody and say, he's too far gone, she's too far gone. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel says you are gone and you have the ability to come back and be redeemed. That's good news. That's called the gospel. 
So we are in the midst of a battle, a battle between the desires of the flesh. Will we do what we want to do or will we do what God wants us to do? If you have not come to God through faith in Christ, then that needs to be done first. Then we trust Christ in this war that we face, knowing that the outcome is far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. If you're a child of God, then you have to realize that practical love cannot be done on your own efforts. We live in humble dependence and anticipation that God will do great things. You just sang about it. It's funny, all the words that we just sung here collectively as a congregation, I wonder how many we really truly believe. I get choked up sometimes when we sing some of these songs and I think about some of those words and I think, man, Lord, that is hard for me to sing. That is hard for me to sing that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though you may change situations and circumstances in my life, I will not be afraid. Even though you call me to go to war, I'll be still and know that you're God. Now, I love Romans chapter 15, verse 13. You don't have to go there. But Paul writes to the church in Rome who's dealing with very similar things. And this Roman church is probably frustrated and realizing these wars are going on and these practical ways to put love into action. And they're asking, how? And Paul responds to them. He says, may the Lord fill you with joy and peace, even in the turmoils of Rome. Why? Because of your trust in him. And may your hope grow stronger and stronger and stronger as you trust in him, not by your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's good, godly news. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I, I first of all just want to ask for your forgiveness because when I approached Deuteronomy the first time, I just want to like put it on the shelf. I just look at it and I think to myself, you know, uh, this surely is not for today. But then I was reminded, Lord, as, as we were walking this week, the, the song, Onward Christian Soldiers Marching As To War. I was reminded of the fact that we are in a war. These desires that we have for ourselves sometimes trump the desires that we have or should have for you. And we, first of all, just want to ask for your forgiveness for that. And as we engage in this world, and as we scratch our heads with the way that they conduct our, themselves, may we remember, first and foremost, that we also conducted ourselves in the same way. And then we found Jesus. And may the same grace that we received be the offering that we give the offering to be called sons and daughters of the Most High, to repent and to sin no more. Oftentimes, Lord, we are looking at people and simply evaluating them off of ourselves, and we ask for your forgiveness for that too as well. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to see people in the same way you see us. Help us to put into action practical love. To not want our own desires, but to want what you desire. 
that realize that when we win together for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's where we win. Creating us clean hearts, renewing us right spirits. God, speak to our hearts even now, today, as we get ready to remember you in the act of communion, where you invite us to your table and help us to reevaluate where we're off and come back to center in our relationship with you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.